Hello, everybody, and welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. Just taking a moment to catch my breath. This summer has definitely kept me occupied a little bit more work-wise. To be honest, I thought I was really prepared for season six. I had three episodes already recorded and ready to be put out by the time I started. And here I am doing last minute recordings to finish up this particular episode. It has nothing to do with the episode itself. This summer just has me being a little more busy with work. In addition to my classes that I teach to adults, I have been participating in summer camps and teaching some of my aerial experience to young kids, which I have to also admit, at first I was a little nervous about working with younger kids, but after completing recently the second week of camps, it has become fun. Oh, and also I'd like to say a quick hello and thank you to Amy and Paul for reaching out on the Instagram, letting me know they have found this podcast and they find it enjoyable. Those are my words, not theirs, but it's still the same sentiment. And with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled The King is Dead and debuted on November 12, 1979. The episode was written and directed by Michael Landon. The door opens and we are greeted with a bouquet of wildflowers, decorated with some baby's breath. They look slightly parched, but not nearly as parched as the bouquet they are replacing. The new assortment of flowers are arranged in a vase and moved next to the bed of a sleeping woman. The person who had brought the flowers in and set them next to the bed, he is one mountain of a man. He is tall and thick. Best way to describe him is as a James Bond henchman. The woman lying in bed, we come to find out her name is Anna, and she calls the man Milo. The closed captions mention she says all of this with a Greek accent. Milo kisses her on the forehead, and in the same moment is holding back tears as he informs her that he has to leave for a while once again. And Anna, Anna doesn't even hesitate in her state to say the first thing that's on her mind, wrestling. You're too old for it. Why can't you admit it? We find out Milo is a little stubborn when he says, I am strong, and that he also still loves the sport. Anna calls him a liar and says that he's only doing this work to pay for the medicine and hospital that she requires. And that's when she says that what Milo is doing is not wrestling. She only believes the Greco-Roman style to be true wrestling and refers to Milo's work as simply being a sideshow. You give them your pride and you let them take it. Milo doesn't argue but he does offer to get Anna anything else she might need before he heads out, and he's gone for the next two weeks. He pleads with her not to be angry. Anna turns her head and says she's not, 
just disappointed. Just kidding. She says that she's angry at herself. This sickness for making you go do this work. Milo, looking at his wife, says that she makes him a whole person. You complete me. You are my heart. He kisses her forehead and says goodbye. Out in the hallway, Milo informs head nurse No Name that he's going to be gone for a while, and he supplies her with an address in case they might need to contact him. As Milo steps out of scene, the camera shifts its attention to the nurse who makes her way into Anna's room, and she calls Anna by her full name, Anna Stavropoulos. Nurse has gone in there to make sure Anna's receiving her medicine, and Anna says she doesn't want it. The nurse threatens to get the doctor, and Anna calls the nurse's bluff and tells her to go get the doctor. All he will learn is there's no use arguing with Anna Stavropoulos. The nurse leaves the room with the door open, and we get a long shot of Anna lying there. Cut to stock footage of engine number three traveling across a prairie, which brings us to the inside of the train and another mountain-esque man chowing down on some fried chicken. My favorite Martian, I mean his manager, tells him that they better make some money in Mankato because they barely are covering the cost of this guy's food bill. The manager compares this younger version to Milo, who is sitting next to him. The new model LOLs and says, He's old, I'm young, and growing. The closed captions don't inform us the type of accent this man has. It's in these moments the manager informs us about the elimination round, and how those in the Mankato area have had a good harvest which means they have plenty of extra money to spend. Which, from the younger, new model, we get good. It's more for us to take. And so I guess that means we're in Mankato in the next scene. And we get a long shot of body doubles, standing in for Charles and Jonathan Garvey, driving into town. A sign in the background confirms we are in Mankato, and as they arrive at their destination, Jonathan Garvey seems to be the one in charge because he tells Charles to go check out some saw blades as he unloads the crops. Charles yells back, See ya! And the camera shifts its attention to him as he is walking down the streets of Mankato. He passes by a very familiar saloon door and secretly, I'm wishing a window would just burst out right in front of him once again. You know, like the first time Mr. Edwards returned back in season one. But that doesn't happen. Instead, from the saloon steps out Milo and the manager, and they are looking for a Patsy Stone, I mean, a Patsy, for this elimination round. The manager mentions there's gotta be someone in this wicked little town. I mean, hick town. This is when the manager spots Jonathan Garvey unloading his crops. Milo looks him up and down, and the manager sends Milo over to recruit him. And how does he do that, dear listeners? By starting a fight. And while this little tussle is beginning, the manager yells out, fight! 
and there is a mad dash by everyone in the scene heading over to see what's causing the commotion. The manager heads over and starts name-dropping Milo to the crowd, but in the end, it doesn't even matter that Jonathan Garvey wins. Milo gets up, grabs his hat, and casually walks away and delivers a head nod to the manager. After the crowd clears away, the manager approaches Jonathan Garvey and gives him the 411 on whose path he just crossed. That's the number one contender in the heavyweight wrestling title, which takes place next week. The winner of that match gets to take on the champion, Hans Mueller. From Jonathan Garvey, we get a cool, but that won't get my work done. And it's finally at this time, after all this scheming, we are finally introduced to Jimmy Hart, promoter slash manager to Hans and Milo. And Jimmy, he claims Jonathan Garvey is the best candidate for Hero Township. And Jonathan Garvey, it's just an honor to be nominated. But I'm just a farmer. To help persuade Jonathan Garvey, Jimmy informs him that the winner of the first fight gets $100, with a chance of winning $300 at the title fight. Jonathan Garvey is now interested. He proclaims he's never seen that kind of money, except for that one time when him and Charles left Walnut Grove for a month to go install a telephone line. Jimmy, Jimmy's impatient, he wants a response so he can start advertising Jonathan Garvey's name in the newspaper. Jonathan Garvey's excited, oh, I've never had my name in the paper. And Jimmy assures him that if he were to win, his name would be in the papers all over the country. We're informed Jimmy's staying at the Brewer Hotel in room 14 and that he will need an answer today. As he leaves... Jonathan Garvey starts to smile and continues to unload the wagon. The camera turns back to Jimmy, who is passing by the saloon, and Milo steps out to ask if Jonathan Garvey has accepted this challenge. Jimmy says no, but with a smile, reassures Milo, he will, however. Cut to Jonathan Garvey, telling the voice of reason, Charles, the news as they head over to Jimmy's room. And inside the room, Jimmy is busy reading a paper and hears a knock and a smile spreads across his face as he lets Jonathan Garvey and Charles into the room. Immediately, Jimmy hands over a contract and says, sign this, Big John Garvey, which is how he's going to describe him in the print media. And although Jonathan Garvey knows how to sign his name, he doesn't even bother to take the time to read the contract. Cut to the Mankato Clarion newspaper being dropped off at the Walnut Grove post office. And cut to crowds of people surrounding the mill and Harriet Olson busting through with a copy of that newspaper. She wants an autograph of Walnut Grove's very own celebrity. However, in the same breath, taking a moment to also insult Jonathan Garvey. You are going to win. It'd be terribly embarrassing if you didn't. 
Andy Garvey takes this time to reassure Harriet how his paw will win. And throughout the crowd, you can hear everyone start to mention how they're all going to the fight and place bets. Charles steps out of the office to inform the BJG it's time to get back to work. Harriet Olson overhears all of this talk about the chances of winning big, and Harriet seems to have an idea. Late night, in the Olsen's primary bedroom, the closed caption says coins are clinking. Mr. Olsen rolls over and asks what's going on. Harry Olsen groans, Ugh, you made me lose count. Mr. Olsen throws the covers off his bed to announce he's heading to the water closet. However, he notices Harriet is counting the church money. Why are you counting it so late? He inquires. And as you might guess, Harriet Olsen needs to know how much to bet on the fight. Mr. Olsen's urge to answer nature's call is disrupted as he tells her not to gamble with the church funds. Harriet Olsen takes this time to let us know that as the church treasurer, she's okaying this transaction because it is not gambling. Gambling is what happens when you lose, and the BJG can't lose, and she hopes to double the church's funds, which I'm left wondering, is she really going to let those winnings go back to the church? Harriet tells Mr. Olson to head to the water closet so she can continue on with doing the Lord's work. Back in Mankato, Jimmy enters Milo's room, proud of the situation. He reminds Milo and explains to us what is about to happen. One, let the BJG win the fight quickly. Two, have the champ fake a back injury, which three gives the BJG better odds. Milo, laying on his side, looking away from Jimmy, says, eh, it's good. Jimmy leaves to head next door to tell Hans all of the news. The camera stays on Milo, who is still lying in bed, and as the camera zooms in, slowly, Milo rolls over to reveal tears as he is thinking back to his wife, Anna. Back in Walnut Grove, outside the Garvey estate, fans and friends are arriving ready to escort the BJG and son to Mankato. Standing on their front porch, Jonathan Garvey points to the crowd, and Allie G now says more words than ever in this season. Mostly she disapproves and refuses to pretend to go along with this whole idea. Andy and Jonathan Garvey climb into their wagon. He turns around and asks Allie G if she's going to wish him good luck. She stands there silently, judging and as the wagon with Jonathan Garvey and Andy almost make it to the road, Allie G yells out to her husband, Good luck! And he responds with, And I love you. We are back on the streets of Mankato. A man wearing a sandwich board is promoting the fight, and there are big cheers as the BJG enters the town. Charles and Albert are riding in the back of the wagon, 
making a joke at Charles's expense. From there, we're up in Milo's room as he is looking out the window at the crowd. Hans is busy eating along with Jimmy, who mentions how it sounds like a circus out there. And from Milo, we get, it's because it is. Hans takes this moment to tell Milo, eh, it's what the people want and what the people will get. A show. Milo responds, it's not a show. It is a circus, and I'm a clown. His conscience is starting to show. Milo continues, in Europe, I was a champion. And from Hans, being a little shady, yeah, that's right, was. Milo, not having it, is ready for a brawl. However, Jimmy tells the two of them to shut up. We're not here to fight with ourselves. Jimmy then takes a low blow when he says to Milo, You still want to pay for those hospital bills, don't you? Milo goes quiet. And once Jimmy is done reminding all of us of the plan, Milo heads to his room and closes the door. And still cramming food in his mouth, Hans relays how Milo was correct. He was a great wrestler in Europe. They called him Milo the Great Greek. Hans continues how Milo was a childhood hero of his and how he actually had seen him wrestle in Europe. He was a god. And now look at him. From there, we are at the saloon, and it is full to the brim, not only with a wrestling ring, but with people placing bets. And Harriet Olsen is one of those. She's one of the only other females inside the bar, besides the barmaids and the sex workers. And as she heads over to the betting table, Mr. Olsen is pleading with her to not continue. But... Harriet Olsen slaps down $46 and exclaims how exciting all of this is. After placing the bet, Harriet Olsen has a seat with Mr. Olsen. At this time, the saloon doors swing open and the BJG enters to loud applause. Harriet Olsen from her seat yells out, Big John, kill him. And, well, Mr. Olsen who is a little crossed at the moment, yells at Harriet to behave. It's bad enough that she's gambling with the Lord's money, but it's another thing to scream for blood on top of it. His words, not mine. As Milo enters, the cheers turn to booze. But that's not all. A postal worker enters to announce that he has a letter for him. Jimmy pushes him away and says, Later. Jimmy enters the wrestling ring to explain the whole process and also takes this time to introduce the champion, Hans Mueller, also mentioning how Hans now has a new back injury, but concludes that the fight scheduled for tomorrow will still go on. Jimmy continues getting the crowd exciting by sharing all of Milo's exploits. When he's done with that, he takes the moment to introduce... Jonathan Garvey. We're also told that this is a clean fight, no kicking or biting, and the fight will continue until one of them is pinned or they cannot proceed. 
And once Jimmy has left the ring, the bell is sounded to announce the beginning of the fight. And Harriet Olsen from the sidelines is yelling out, Kill him! Kill him for the church! Her words, not mine. Even Mr. Olsen is starting to yell. And I can't help but wonder if he's having flashbacks to that time he tried to take on Joe Kagan. The fight continues, and a punch is thrown. But it's thrown by Harriet in her excitement, which manages to stun Mr. Olsen. Of course, we know the fight is over in less than a minute. The crowd cheers, and Milo makes his way out of the ring, and he finally receives that letter from the postal worker. And heading outside, he opens the letter, and it's no surprise that it is from Anna, sharing her true feelings about Milo and every time he leaves for one of these matches. You let people laugh at you, and you act like you don't care. But I love you, and I do care. Living is temporary. Love is forever. Love, Anna. Milo's already in tears, and that's when he notices a second note included in the letter, and it reveals what we've kind of already been expecting, that Anna has passed away. We cut to the BJG counting his winnings in front of Andy, Albert, and Charles for the fourth time. And he continues about how excited he is about winning tomorrow. Charles, again, the voice of reason, takes the time to remind us once again that Jonathan Garvey hasn't won yet. And while the group celebrates, there is a knock at the door. Andy heads over and opens it, and it's Milo. The room seems slightly taken aback as Milo asks for a moment of their time. It's about tomorrow's event. Well, as well as the evening's event. And Milo spills the tea of how he was paid to lose to help set up for the second fight. So in the end, the big winners would be Jimmy, Hans, and Milo. Andy shakes his head in disbelief. That's not true. My pa won fair and square. Milo tells the boy to sit down and proposes to the BJG that he take his place in the fight or else everyone is going to lose their money. However, the BJG is too prideful to listen and simply excuses Milo. Milo, trying to correct his sins, claims, let me prove it. If it took you less than a minute to take me down, it shouldn't take you long to repeat it, and then you'll find out if I speak the truth or not. The BJG accepts the offer, which finds us back over at the saloon. It's dark inside. There's an employee still there cleaning up, and as Milo enters with the BJG, Charles, Andy, and Albert, Milo assures the worker they're not there to steal anything, but does ask that he leaves. And when the room is empty, Milo states, Now we wrestle. And all without a proper warm-up. Not that it matters, because in less than a minute, 
the BJG realizes Milo is telling the truth. And after the third attempt to try to take him down, the BJG is pinned and is feeling the agony of defeat. Andy jumps into the ring and tells Milo to back off. And proving his point, Milo reassures him it's better if he takes the BJG's spot because it is their only chance to win. If Jonathan Garvey forfeits, all of his friends lose their chance of getting any money back. And Jonathan Garvey, looking at Milo, inquires, Do you think you can whip him? Which is answered with, I am Milo Staropolis. It's the next day. Milo is in his room and Jimmy enters. Milo informs Jimmy that tonight is his last fight ever and that you need to pay me now. Feeling rather cocky, Jimmy inquires about those hospital bills and Milo responds with, Anna is in no more pain and I promised to quit after this fight. Jimmy shrugs his shoulders, pays him, and inquires if Milo is going to watch the fight tonight. And Milo responds with, I'll be there. We're back in the saloon and those bedding tables are surrounded. And we see Mr. Olson trying to persuade Harriet not to gamble away the church money. Again, he doesn't want her pressing her luck. And he suggests only using the winnings instead. Harriet Olson reluctantly agrees, while in the same breath calls him a coward. However, once at the betting table, Harriet finds out if she is only to bet with the winnings, she's not going to win that much at all. And it will be better if she just bets it all. Which she does. Up in Jimmy's hotel room, he is boasting how farmers and their money are easily parted. He also catches Hans throwing back a few shots. He's anticipating a rather boring fight. Jimmy tries to stop him, but Hans's ego is definitely getting in the way as he continues to toss back another shot. And next door, we find Milo on the bed saying a prayer. Let me be as I was one last time. Let Anna see me and be proud. We find ourselves at that wrestling ring. Hans is there. So is Jimmy and the crowd. But the BJG is not around. From the sideline, Mr. Olson is noticing how nervous Harriet looks. She retorts with a stop spoiling my fun remark. And the crowd erupts as the BJG finally enters the saloon and the ring. However, once he makes it to his corner and derobes, it is revealed that his arm is in a sling. Oops, it's a freak accident at the hotel. And looking at the situation, as expected, Jimmy says the match is forfeited, bets are still in place, and the winner is by default. This gets a loud groan from the entire audience. However, at the moment, Charles steps up and begins citing the rules of the contest that were included on the contract. And yes, we're informed that 
the challenger can designate any other fighter, at which time the BJG announces Milo. And yes, Milo enters the building and the ring. And once inside, these two wrestlers, Hans and Milo, stare each other up and down. It seems like this is a moment the two of them have been waiting for. Once again, the rules are explained, I don't know why, and looking at his challenger, Milo tells him, This time, I will not wrestle like a clown. And the match begins! And, well, Hans is thrown to the ground a few times. It then turns to a staring contest as they size each other up, circling around the ring. There's a bear hug exchange, I'm just calling it like I see it, with Hans grabbing a hold of Milo first, but then Milo then getting the upper hand hug. And with his limited capacity, Hans is trying to beat Milo with his fist, and it's at this point I would yell out headbutt, but I don't know if that's allowed. But eventually, Hans passes out and is tossed to the floor with Milo as the winner. Harriet, who's been covering her face since the BJG derobed, is informed by Mr. Olson how her foul up has been reversed and jumping up in celebration once again manages to knock Mr. Olson out. Everyone immediately rushes to Jimmy for their payout. As Charles and Jonathan Garvey praise Milo, the crowd is chanting his name. Jonathan Garvey tells him, you hear that? That's for you. And Milo does indeed hear it and smiles. And in a split second, that smile fades. Something is not right. Milo then turns to Charles and Jonathan Garvey and requests that they help him back to his hotel room. Then back in his room, they set Milo down on his bed, and Milo proclaims, I'm fine, I just need a rest. Milo continues to tell Jonathan Garvey there's no reason for them to stay. I'm fine. However, could you light the lamp before you go? It's dark. And oh, spit. Charles and Jonathan Garvey exchange glances because the lamp in the room is already lit. Charles announces he's heading out to go get a doctor. Jonathan Garvey watches over Milo, who's laying in bed, reminiscing about being home and how he can continue to hear the crowd call his name. I pray my Anna could hear this. Milo turns his head towards the sound of the crowd cheering his name. And in that moment, he sees a vision of Anna, who has heard those chants and has come to bring Milo home. Milo reaches out a hand for Anna, and Anna reaches a spectral hand forward as well, and he confesses, love is forever. And he feels her touch as she fades away and Milo slowly closes his eyes and lowers his hand. And standing to the side, Jonathan Garvey takes a moment to look at this 
relaxing, gentle giant who has saved Walnut Grove. As I said earlier, it's been a busy week, so we're going to get right to reviewing and rating this episode. The first thing this episode made me think about is 2007's movie The Wrestler, starring Mickey Rorick and Marissa Tomei. There, we had a wrestler who was trying to relive his glory days, eventually finding out that his heart is weak, partially due to his extended use of steroids, and always promises those that he loves only one more fight. Of course, in addition to that movie, this episode reminded me also of a, a previous episode of Little House. You guessed it, The Fighter. Season 4's long-run episode where the Prairieverse is introduced to Joe Kagan, who again is trying to live out his glory days as a fighter, but realizing that he is past his prime and needs to switch careers. And in a way, both of those episodes do come full circle. With The Fighter, we have the story of Joe Kagan, but really, we also have the story of his son, Tim Kagan, and how because of Joe's actions, we see how Tim, as an adult, has some resentment towards his father, but also pursues his father's career, only to, unknowingly, end up in the ring with him. And Joe Kagan makes it his goal to persuade his son to change his careers. And here, with The King is Dead, we are introduced to Milo's wife, Anna, who is that constant reminder in Milo's life that this is not what he should be doing. And while both of these men feel as though this is how they should be taking care of their family, their family knows this kind of lifestyle, this kind of work, is not sustainable past a certain point. The unfortunate thing here, however, is that Milo, after revisiting that glorious moment of winning and hearing everyone celebrate him, his story ends right there. Unlike Joe Kagan, who continues to stay in Walnut Grove after sending his son off to Colorado and hoping he's done right by him by forcing his son to have a change in careers. And of course, in both of these situations, nobody bothered to listen to their wives. And once again, in one of those rare Little House episodes, we don't end on a positive note. Sure, Milo saved everyone in Walnut Grove from being cheated by Jimmy Hart, but he does end up losing his wife, and he also passes away. So in that aspect, it does remind me of Soldier's Return back in Season 2, where we also had our first episode that didn't end on a positive note. Now let's take a moment to talk about Harriet here. A few episodes ago, she was all about having the church, or more or less, Reverend Alden, present himself in a certain way that lived to her standards. Because apparently, 
Harriet Olson respects the church. But here, we have her being footloose and fancy-free with the church funds. Which again, I am left wondering, did Harriet expect to double the church funds or actually keep those winnings for herself and keep it a secret? We know she is, I don't want to say frugal or stingy, but those are just the first words that come to mind. But with no one knowing other than Mr. Olson, that she's using the church funds in this way, I can't help but wonder if she would have actually just pocketed the winnings for herself. I mean, truthfully, how much can we trust Harriet Olson at this moment still? I mean, after that big reveal in Preacher Takes a Wife, do we even know Harriet Olson at all? But one thing we should all know about is this week's little house moment which goes to that end scene where Milo's in bed and we have that image of Anna standing there. We've had dream sequences before and we've had a ghostly vision also present back in season two's The Haunted House but this is the first time we've ever had in the Prairieverse a ghost-like form. So having this moment where we see what Milo is seeing as he is passing away, it took the scene to the next level. And with that, let's finally get to rating this episode. I've already mentioned how this episode, The King is Dead, reminded me of season four's The Fighter. So it almost seems like a recycled storyline, but at least this time around, it's Jonathan Garvey who gets in the ring instead of Charles Ingalls. And once again, it was nice to have our central focus not necessarily on anyone from Walnut Grove, but on Milo Stavropoulos. The last time we had that was back in season five's Somebody Please Love Me. We got a long look at the Harper family, but we had Charles essentially there at every turn to help bring the family together. And again here, eh, Walnut Grove was just kind of a background character as we focused on Milo. And I loved that. It changes the feeling of an episode so much. But I'm also confused by Harriet here. If she loves her church so much and wants to protect it, I don't see why she feels as though gambling with the church funds is the best thing to do. We know the Olsons are the richest people in Walnut Grove, if not Hero Township, so why is she gambling with money that isn't hers? Apparently, she didn't learn anything from Mary and Laura when they try to use church funds to get a better present for Reverend Olden. However, in retrospect, Harriet wasn't actually aware that Mary and Laura had used those funds to not purchase a gift for Reverend Alden, but they gambled and tried to raise funds in a different way. So, in a way, also repeating an episode that we've already seen. But still, we're introduced to Milo, his circumstances. We see him come full circle and realize that what he's doing is not how Milo wants to present himself to the world. And that is why we are going to rate this episode 
The King is Dead. Which, now, reflecting on the title of the episode, spoiler, leaves me a little disenchanted. And that's why The King is Dead is going to receive a 4.5 bonnet rating. I really enjoyed this episode. I really loved the character of Milo. But a lot of this stuff we've already seen before. I know, it's season 6, but we can still have some original ideas. And those are just some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode. And as always, I wouldn't mind hearing any thoughts or feelings you have about this episode or any previous episode or season. From Plum Creek with Love at Instagram or Gmail is how you can reach out to me with those thoughts and feelings or any other remarks you might want to share. For all of you following from Plum Creek with Love on the Instagram, just to let you know, that is a labor of love. And maybe you're asking, John, what about the Spotify playlist? Isn't that a labor of love? No, that one actually comes really easy. I type a name up in the search and I find it very quickly and add it to the playlist. But that Instagram account, there's a lot more work to that. So if you're not following on there or if you haven't checked it out, I encourage you to take a moment to maybe take a look at it. As always, please feel free to leave a rating or review on your platform of choice to help get the word out on this podcast. And next week, we return with Season 6, Episode 10, The Faith Healer. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a Little House on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez, who is going to take a few extra moments to sleep tonight so he can be fresh and rejuvenated for the next episode. And until then, take care. Yeah.